I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place, so make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome, welcome everyone on Let's Talk AI. On today's episode, we're talking with Adam Sroka. Um, could you define yourself uh, with your own words, Adam? Yeah, I normally start with former data scientist that um, has spent the last quite a few years now in sort of leadership management position, building and running data functions and data teams across quite a number of organizations, both internally as like a head of director or now as a consultant for lots of customers. Awesome. And um, so so I have uh, two questions. You just built your own company, right? Mm-hmm. Can you tell more about uh, your own company and uh, what is your goal? What is your mission today? Yeah, so I've spent... Uh, my career started in a really, really large organization doing research science. And um, that was great fun, but I didn't quite like the colossal organizations like found they were quite sluggish and didn't really make it easy to get innovation done and get moving quickly Mm -hmm. right so i then spent a lot of time the rest of my career in startups like really early stage through to like sort of medium-sized companies Mm -hmm. and one thing i've kind of found because of having been a consultant and having been working in these organizations and we're working way through them is that a lot of companies really, really struggle to get going with data and AI and machine learning and things like that. And the literature doesn't help and the kind of community, I think the community is really good, but I think a lot of it's skewed towards organizations that are really quite late stage or high maturity organizations. So I started Hypercube um, off the back of that vision that I've built and scaled these teams several times now, and I know how to deliver successful projects. And can I enable more organizations to do that and especially in the um energy space so my sort of a lot of my experience has been in the energy sector so i'm now looking to yeah see if i can sort of help organizations start or master their kind of data and ai projects um with the help of sort of outside third parties that have been there and done that because that's the thing like you only build your first data team once and unless you're a consultant, you won't have had the chance to do that more than once. So you don't know what a good start looks like. And I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of value in it. And a lot of my customers do as well. So it's quite important. Yeah. So yeah, in short, data and AI consultancy services, preferably for the energy sector. Awesome. And you mentioned something very, very interesting that I've uh, always tried to get a closer look is like building a data team. Like how do you build uh, a great data team? Uh, uh, at the beginning, and then when the data team grows, like how do you how do you give responsibilities to manager that will take care of other teams? Um, so, uh, could you give us more insight on this part? Yeah, uh, with great difficulty. Normally, um, I think there's one way definitely not to do it, which is the way most most organizations go. Right, where they from sort of 2015 onwards, they got on the hype train with data and AI and machine learning and all this. And uh, they read the sexiest job of the 21st century article like everyone else did. And so they just think, right, we want to do data science or machine learning, so we'll hire a data scientist. And what typically happens in that scenario, and a lot of my writings about, is that that person might be really, really good at model development or a really good like experimenter or researcher that knows machine learning and stats inside out, right? But they land in a company that hasn't got any data landscape with which to speak. Like all of the work is either trapped in Excel spreadsheets that are really heavily formatted and emailed around the building or like on written on napkins in the cupboard and things like that. And you've got to go from that to something that provides robust, automated, or, or, or at least just clean data sets to this person. And so a few things can happen there. Either this specialist then becomes more of a generalist and might spend a lot of time learning that stuff on the job. They might get frustrated. They might love it, right? I loved it. I enjoyed doing it. That was kind of what happened to me. Um, 
but they might get frustrated. They might end up leaving. They'll probably do it a bit slower and not as well as someone whose job it is to kind of do that plumbing bit and build the foundations anyway. So that seems to be a common story that's happened a lot. Now, when I've done it the other way around, like when I've been brought in to say, right, we need to start a data team, I always think like, we'll cut to the end a little bit, but one of the most valuable or most difficult to acquire skills, I think is probably the most valuable thing is domain and context specific knowledge. So understanding like the legacy and the history of an organization or an industry, um, like markets, things like that, like why things are the way they are, right? That takes a long time to develop. That that takes like expertise and experience. And you can read a lot of that in books, but nothing quite like sitting there and doing the job. So the best way to shortcut that, I think, is to actually go, right, well, is there anyone in the organization that is keen to do this? Do they want to learn some data stuff? Do they want to... Or do they are they like skill adjacent? Like do they, maybe they already manage databases or something, but they they want to go down that route and and try and utilize the skills you really have. So like that's I always try to start there. If I have to hire one person or I only get budget for one person, nine times out of ten I'll pick a data engineer to go first, like a, quite a generalist data engineer to just try and find things that are going to deliver value that are like small, thin, I always talk about thin slices through the whole value stack from ingestion through ETL, through storage, all the way to like analytics and reporting and modeling, right? Can can we find a really thin end-to-end piece and automate that? And then can we add another data set? And then can we add another view and so on and so forth? Because if you do it the other way around, if you start with machine learning, you, you kind of need all that stuff anyway, right? So you need to all build all of that. You build it in like a big thin tower and then balance your machine learning on top of it, right? Well, why not build a pyramid, right? Why not actually build a nice strong base and start to layer in complexity as time goes on? And and there are plenty of use cases in like huge organizations, I think, that like one good model can spell millions and millions in revenue and uplift, right? Um, but those organizations don't tend to need this kind of help. They're kind of already there. They tend to be further along. There aren't there aren't, there aren't that many like enterprise level organizations that haven't had these conversations for years already. For people starting out now, they're probably just dipping their toe in the water. And yeah, it can be dangerous, right? There's sharks. You can waste a lot of time and energy by going the wrong way and doing the wrong stuff and ultimately frustrate and burn people out in the process. And the worst, the absolute worst outcome is like when you start, you you get going a bit it's difficult to get the buy-in but you you manage then it doesn't actually produce any results for 18 months because it's too difficult or you've kind of started with the wrong skill set and then everyone just goes oh this isn't for us i'll just turn it all off and then all that investment gets wasted Mm. and then you've kind of seeded a culture of like oh we don't want to do this again Mm. so for me how do you start nine times out of ten i'd say someone that's going to build a data platform and try and find quick wins to build confidence Mm. and start picking off the low-hanging fruit Okay, awesome. And so let's say now you, you have a small team working, you have some data engineers, maybe a machine learning engineers that is doing some models and, and you have these good teams going, but you want to take it next level. You want to go from having one team to manage multiple teams. Uh, how does one approach uh, this moment where you can get all these responsibilities? Like how, how do you prepare for for managing multiple teams and how do you do this transition? Yeah, now that's usually a challenge that's constrained by kind of budgets and headcount, right? So you, it's all about risk and trust, I think, right? So you think, and, and actually, if you go, it goes right back to the career ladder, right? What's the difference between like an associate and a developer and a senior and a principal staff level person? Well, it's, it's risk and trust, right? You, you, can, you should be able to trust a principle with a lot more ambiguity and a lot more kind of uncertainty and risk than you should a developer or an associate, right? And that's why developers and associates maybe need like little task level items, whereas you give like a whole subsystem architecture to your principles, right? So have you got budget to go and get another one of those people that knows your industry or your company inside out? Maybe not, right? Maybe you do. If you do, then potentially just plop in a new team and give them lots of time to embed and learn the ways of working and familiarity and so on and so forth. But what's more common is you don't have that. 
So is there a is there a natural way to cleave the team, or could you? Is there perhaps a, a senior or a developer in the team already that can be trusted with a little bit more of, tr- of that trust, that risk? And I think it, it's actually all right to like let someone early in their career start and do that like give them that trust as long as everyone's on board that's what's happening like you all say we are aware that this is maybe a stretch for you so we don't anticipate 10 out of 10 results we'll keep close checks and we'll try and find what's going on and then it becomes the responsibility of whoever's managing the workload to really shoulder a lot of that burden and in some organizations that's your line manager and that's like a senior person technical person in the team in other organizations, that could be the project manager or the product owner, right? Depending on what kind of company you are. Um, and I find that if you can, and it often leads to overworking that person a bit for a short period of time, but if you can have that person run both teams for a bit, you you get a, a nice kind of homogenization of the ways of working and kind of expectations mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm you'll get bottlenecks and you'll start to overwork people. So you do need to release them either by bringing in more people or lowering the workload, lowering the scope of what's been done, right? Mm. Okay, very interesting. Thanks. Uh, do you um, like? Do you implement uh, on a daily basis some agile method or scrum methods to like manage um, uh, tech roles or business, business tasks? Um, do you have a process or a framework to like give what everyone needs to do and then everyone give to their own teams? I, yeah, so I've used most of them, right? Um, from being in a colossal research organization with like 45 people on the project team doing like real waterfall stuff mm. with safety critical systems mm-hmm. um, in defense, right? All the way to super fast and loose like startups with six people and it was chaos and pandemonium. So I've done like, I've, I've tasted a lot of it. Mm. Um I think Agile gets a bad rap in the data community because people immediately assume Scrum when you say Agile. Yeah. Now, I'm not a massive fan of Scrum. Okay. I uh, It can work, like it can totally work, and I've seen it work, and I've seen it be successful, and m- much brighter, much better leaders than I swear by it in data science, right? Um, I think and I, so the way I've made it work, I was sort of – copied someone, uh, Elizabeth Hollinger, who's head of, uh, well, no, she's director of data analytics for Agreco now, I think. She talked years and years and years ago about how they quite heavily used it and they just make some adjustments and tweaks to it. And I think the, the main takeaway for me was to relax some of the story pointing stuff and go more towards heavily leaning on spikes and like time boxed stuff. And then accepting that like the output of a sprint might just be a report saying, we've tried these avenues and nothing's been done right so that that's like one kind of tweak of traditional like by the book scrum that i think works um but preferably i'd much prefer kanban uh, kanban sorry and i'm actually writing a load of stuff on this at the moment like how i think it, it's beneficial because so i've used like crisp dm and like the team data science process and some of these ones that are like specific there's a, what's the, there's a domino one I've not tried. There's like a few project management delivery methods that are specific to data science. And I just think that they probably work and they're good. Like they're a bit complicated and it's, it feels a little bit like shoehorning. Um, but for me, I really want, I, I believe quite strongly in interdisciplinary teams, right? So sometimes like those methodologies are going to be a new thing to learn for like software engineers or other adjacent supporting roles so i think if you like grow up in a crispm environment and then you land in a scrum place or something a bit different like you've got another learning thing to go through whereas i think kanban just applies nicely across the board it gives you that flexibility in time the big challenge with like kanban when you're not doing like scrum ban is sort of certainty of deliverables and things like that and you get into these horrible like hybrid agile sort of waterfall things um i think you can unravel a lot of that by involving the stakeholders more so instead of saying like okay we'll deliver this in x time by x date blah 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 you just have a a regular cadence of these are 
the deliverables and the expectations and and like as and when things change report on it um i'm not a fan of recurring meetings and like meetings for meetings sake so i think minimum meetings possible to make the system work but maximum visibility and whether that's like recording things now tools like loom are brilliant right i've started using it all the time just to record like if I know a meeting is going to be me broadcasting something to someone, I'll just record it and say, right, there's a link, go and watch it as when you need share it. That's such a time saver compared to like, well, we'll just stick 90 minutes in the calendar of the week just in case we need it and so on and so forth. Although I don't agree, that's not the same for actually managing these individuals. That, that's separate. I think you do need to put in box time for that. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very wide question, but thanks. Thanks. I really uh, enjoy the the answer it gives a lot of um, a lot of directions for one to to explore those types of management and and I feel it depends really on what project is being developed. Um, so I would really like to ask you about um, the overview. Um, well, I want to ask you about uh, your experience, your journey uh, as being a leader and, and, and managing, like how do you feel that you've been evolving? But just before asking you about that, I would like to know um, what kind of framework do you apply for yourself to like uh, manage your business tasks, your technical tasks, your meeting with, uh, with the people, and then you will have the strategy of how you will work with the team, but like, how do you apply this framework for yourself uh, in the first place? Yeah, so I've always been um, like a furious note taker. Like I, I honestly, I think I can write like between six and 10,000 words of notes a day. Like I really write, like most meetings I'm writing the whole way through, like writing down everything. And I don't even look up half of it, but I just, I'm a big fan of that. Um, it took me a long time to get to using digital notebooks because I couldn't get away from paper. I obviously didn't write as much back then, um, but Obsidian was the one for me. I'm being forced to use Notion at the moment and it's not, It's it, uh, my heart lives with Obsidian, I think. But um, so take a load of notes. And then I'm, I've also always been in, like one for systematizing and processing things like building systems and processes that, that work for me and like refining them. So yeah, how do I go about, well, in the way I take notes, I, I have like inline to-dos and things like that, and I can look them up now. And I actually had a paper-based system that allowed me to look them up, but now I can do that in Obsidian, that's really easy. Um, and then I do use Kanban for my own stuff. And actually, so I have one great big Kanban board to rule them all that's got my whole business, all my content creation stuff, all my home stuff and sign up family life stuff, like everything lives in there with filters and so on and so forth. I'm a huge believer in that model because it allows me to prioritize, estimate and and kind of just see what's going on and where things are. Um, but I would say, though, one thing that I, I actually did it today because uh, a new team starting today and as the manager, as the leader, I think you do need to constantly test yourself and like try other ideas out, right? And it's almost the burden is almost on you to be subject to the management system, not enforce it. So by that I mean like I like the way I work and my systems, but I'll offer them as almost like a straw man to say, right, well, this works for me. Do you hate it? Do you is there something that works for you as a team? What would you rather? And there was an idea from a playing Dungeons and Dragons called the the same page tool. And it's all about making sure everyone in the group wants to play the same kind of game. Like, do you want to play like a Scooby-Doo silly, like charging around kind of high fantasy a bit like thing? Or do you want to play like Game of Thrones gritty real, blah blah blah? Because if I want one and you want the other we're not going to have fun trying to all like find each other's game in the same group. And it's a cool idea that I've adjusted to, for teams. Right. And I do this as like sets of questions of like, what project management um, methods do you like? Do you prefer evening or afternoon, morning or afternoon meetings? Do you like regular meetings? Do you not like them? So on and so forth. And by doing that sort of pseudo anonymously with a team and then getting, then getting answered together and bring it to, like through, you'll find sometimes you end up running teams of people that want loads of touch points, loads of collaboration time. They want like really regular meetings and all that. For me to then go, well, I don't like meetings and I want them in the afternoon and we're using Kanban. I don't think that's the best way to serve that team, right? So 
yeah, I like Kanban. I, I kind of use it for everything. And that allows me to cascade tasks and things like that. And then high visibility, but whatever works and whatever the people want to use like the, in the team. Because you might find actually it's been a while since you've done something a certain way and it, yeah. you've changed. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always good. Okay, awesome. And could would you consider, for example, having one team with uh, managing one team with one method and another team with another method? And in the end, it works. Or do you try to to kind of get the point of view of everyone and adapt the method for everyone? Um, yeah, I I think that can be done, but it's probably beyond my level of intelligence. I've I've worked with really good like project managers that can do that. Um, like run different teams of consultants with completely different models. And sometimes in a consultancy, you have to just slot into what the customer delivery method is. So like you get no choice at all. Yeah. And if you're working with multiple customers at the same time, then you, you end up stuffed a little bit. Um, I would say if possible, like allow one person to kind of do things their way. So like whether that's the product owner or the PM or the team lead, and don't try and unless they're skilled or they want to learn that, like don't try and make them do it both ways. I don't think it's overly harmful. I just think it's like a lot of cognitive load. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cognitive load is, uh, is one of the most important thing I feel with all those methods. We try different things and what ends up being good is, uh, what's the most efficient with less of cognitive word, uh, cognitive load. Yeah. Awesome. It's like I've worked with a really good PMs that like, their method of managing the project is just speaking to people. That's it. Like they don't really have much in the way of frameworks and systems and they get stuff delivered on time because they've just, they're able to have really good personal relationships in really collaborative environments. Mm. Now I know other PMs and myself that that just wouldn't work for. I couldn't do that. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like having methods like meeting with the stakeholders every week, meeting with the, with the team, having like dailies and, and not just on the dev. Uh, I feel like it's uh like making sure everyone have what they need and make sure they share their doubts. And I feel like those methods, um, I, I mean, you have yeah, like, um, yeah, I, I feel like this is uh, the safer, the easiest way to like be organized and have less cognitive, lo cognitive load because you know you will connect and they will share their doubts with you. Yeah, and like just revise and test stuff, right? Test it for and just put. So we set up this new team today. All these systems, and right, we, we're going to do this. Did the same page thing, great. And then we went right. Well, I'm, I'm only sticking three weeks worth of the kind of meeting cadence in mm. because I want to review everything and make sure we're happy with these definitions and what we said we were going to do. Mm. And not, it doesn't play out like that. Mm. Like, all right. Um, so I have one last question regarding uh, this management uh, management question and leadership questions. Um, how would you describe your journey on being a leader uh, and how have you seen yourself evolve through times and maybe some key lessons? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, it started off very badly, as all I'd say. Um, I kind of joke about it in bits, but it was very painful, the transition. I kind of was catapulted from a senior role to like senior developer or data scientist role to director for a really fast growing private equity backed consultancy startup. So like private equity is hard, like fast growth is hard, consultancy is hard. And it, so it was, it was a, a tough environment to be in. And I got given a business unit, which went going from doing like machine learning and modeling and stats all the time to talking about HR issues and like budgets for finances and sales and marketing and all this stuff. So I had to learn all that. And at the same time, I went from never having managed anyone in this career. I used to run bars years ago, um, which was very, very different. Um, but never having properly managed anyone to having team and actually growing that team to quite a significant number of heads. And I lost friends over it, right? So I started off thinking a few, for a few reasons. And I, I think my kind of number one, and it's only recent, I'm still, I've started talking more about this because I think I've only just recently realized it. it. Like the number one cause of a lot of pain in teams and organizations and like manager sort of um, report relationships is expectations. And it's like uh, not having absolute crystal clear expectations, like, in black and white what do you actually want me to do 
and when and how and what do I want from you and so on and so forth. I think we leave a lot of stuff unsaid and or just assume things and that can cause issues like maybe your manager wants you to email them a report at the end of the week but hasn't really ever articulated that to you or they just expect it because other people do it and we just let it sit and or stuff gets said a certain way and so on and so forth so I didn't set expectations very well which caused issues I think I gave a lot of freedom like loads of freedom and I was really concerned with like people being like liking me and being my friend so I wanted to be everyone's friend first and manager second and I actually don't advise that these days I I think like it's nice if you can be friends with the people you work with, but I, I think it's dangerous to like have to be friends with people you work with. It's nice if you can, but first and foremost, you are professional colleagues. Like you're, you're on a team to do a job, and that comes above everything else. And it's great, like it's super important to develop personal relationships, but you, that there is a slight sort of ranking and priority order there. So another thing about the expectations was then I just assumed everyone would be like me and work like me and I'm, I'm a workaholic and all that. And when that didn't come to pass, like that caused frustration. And I look back now and I think, well, I never told anyone that either. Like <laughs> I just expected people to be like me, but I didn't tell them that. And then I got frustrated when they weren't. So really stupid. And I lost friends over it, right? People that I'm friends with um, at really difficult times. And uh, yeah, it went to a, like, a bit of a dark, bad place. And... I've done a lot of self-reflection, a lot of work. Like I've basically read nothing but management leadership books for the last like four or five years now to try and get better and better at it. I've been through therapy, still am, because I think that's important to like figure out what inside me makes me a, a good, bad manager, leader. Um, I have a mentor. Like I really worked on this a lot um, over the last few years. And so things did turn around though. Like it wasn't all doom and gloom. Like that was the first sort of six to nine months. And then I started listening more to my like superiors and just copied people that were already good at it. So there was another manager in the organization that everyone loved. So I just copied what he did. And actually, lo and behold, I started getting results like he did. So that kind of fake it till you make it. Um, not quite understanding why they were working at first. Um, and then I've gone on to lead lots of teams and go to actually that point around i think one of the most valuable things you can then do as a manager and again let's go back to trust and risk right is more trust is like you you are dealing with humans and i think that kind of comes out in the wash a little bit sometimes like they're not work units or human resources such a horrible term resource but there's not really any better ones right but you're dealing with humans so one thing I've found is make lots of time and like carve time out and you want to bank almost like trust points, right? Trust tokens. And you actually get them from weird places. Like one of the big detrimental things I think about remote work, um, because I love the office and I do miss it, uh, but it is absolutely necessary, right? So you have to have remote work, but I think we've lost a lot of that, that opportunity to earn those little trust points. Like, um, when you just overhear someone watch the same Netflix thing as you last night and they hated it and you loved it and you can have a, a discussion about it and all that, like you're building up like, oh, this is actually another person and like opportunities to be nice to people and just bond with them as a person. Then when stuff gets difficult or like challenging, it's not just like manager to report, like do the thing. It's a human asking of like someone that's built a relationship with right here we are and you you kind of know and you trust each other a bit more so yeah i think as i've gone on realizing that the human that kind of relationship element is really really important but i still stand by not to be their friend just to be there and be able to connect with them on that kind of level and because ultimately people don't want to do a bad job right if someone's doing a bad job we'll find out why like and just ask them and be open about it and talk about mental health with them and talk about like their performance and the expectations and, and figure out where the mismatch is and it becomes so much easier. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that made me think of uh, one, one specific scenario. Like, so for example, if you see, um, if, you, if you have this, this person in your team and, and you're, you're coming to, to this person, trying to understand opening about um, what have been 
um, like the result of the work and uh, and why why is it like that? Uh, why doesn't it match uh, expectation? Maybe redef after redefining expectation and seeing the same result and and you're not very happy and you talk about mental mental health with this person and you're still seeing um, you're still not seeing the output you 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 would like to have uh, like you you would hope for. Uh, how do you approach uh, this, this specific situation? Yeah, this is the, the absolute terrible side of like being a manager, right? Sometimes you have to manage people's performance and you have to bring them back in line with what you expect um, from from employees of their level or whatever. And yes, you do have to give people leeway for mental health and things like that, but you at the same time, again, they are there to do a job and it is a professional relationship first. So when that happens, right, I go down a more increasingly rigid, like ever increasingly rigid structure until you get to a point. And it, it came from a, my CEO in that job as director was like, had a, he had like systems to deliver certain parts of the business. And I didn't agree with some of them. And he said, look, Adam, when you're hit, if, if you're hitting your number, like your, your target, month month in month out you can tell me to go away but the second you stop hitting target and you're not doing the systems i'll be knocking your door down and i was like that's a nice so for me it's that again that similar journey you can i'll give you all the freedom i can until that performance slips and they'll communicate that with you and i'll let you know and i'll have make sure that we have regular one-to-ones anyway so in that i'll i'll start to say right well think people are sensing there's a bit of slip what's going on let's try and improve this let's see if we can get some more positive comments this week blah 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 and if that just continues to decline there's no real reason then you go you you get to especially in the uk like you can't just fire people right so you you have to give them the opportunity to improve and you put them on a performance improvement plan and now there's that's kind of a wishy-washy like it's a legal thing but it gets used in a bit of a wishy-washy way um and it basically means you're sacked in a lot of places, but you can run them really successfully and turn people into superstars using them if you do them well. And so with that, I think, well, you have to, the, the last stage of that framework is saying, right, I need absolute like contract, like black and white things that must be achieved that I can measure in certain time frames to say, actually, you've made the improvement. And so I just go down that route and I say, right, well, we've got, you're on a six week performance improvement plan and I need you to achieve and just think about, well, what does this role do and what do people that are performing in this role do? And that's hard sometimes because roles can be quite fluid things, but say, like, look at the, again, what was expected of the role and has it, if it's changed a lot over time or the environment's changed, that can be difficult, but go, if you are, if they were doing A, B, C, one, two, three, in month after month or week after week or even just in the next six weeks then that's them doing an okay job right and then you say well what's the measurable and i like i talk a lot about artifacts at work and like I, I want like an item that i can point at forever and it's all it's almost like building up a, a bank of evidence so i want like documents or i want testimonials or i want like presentations given things that are like tangibles that i can point at to say, well, that proves that you did that item B on the list, which was part of the six things that we said you needed to do to improve. And then you just stick timeframes on it. And so you've got, you, that takes something that's like, oh, what do you do about performance? You just turn it into a game almost. You just say, right, well, if you complete these six quest objectives, you'll pass the quest and you'll, you'll win. And then it gives you something absolutely concrete if it goes the other way. To say, well, look, it's in black and white here. You signed it. I signed it. And a big part of that as well is you have to do that collaboratively with the person. And and you have to be a bit forceful sometimes and say, no, these are on the list. But you have to get them to sign off to say, well, that's a reasonable thing that, to do within the next six weeks. Like you've not added a load of unfair stuff on there. And then you're on that journey together, right? And then it's about doing everything in your power as a manager to make sure they pass everything, right? Try and, and doing the work for them, but putting every kind of advantage in there in, the, in front of them, giving knocking down all the obstacles so that they can prove that they want to keep the job. Maybe they don't, right? And that's fine. But you you can't then be guilty of like not giving them the best chance. Okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot for 
for uh, all those insights of managing. Um, I hope uh, it helps a lot of person. Uh, at least it helps me. Um, so you mentioned different things that I wanted to get back on. You mentioned uh, that you were managing bars. Uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, if I heard correctly, some road role play games uh like yeah. the uh, dungeon dragons um uh, could you talk maybe um a bit about like yourself who you are and like how your patience and your interests uh affects your work yeah definitely um uber nerd i would say like i've always been really nerdy um ever since i was really young like didn't play football in the playground we used to play pretend up until i was like 18 like really really nerdy um i yeah so i once upon a time i kind i kind of i, I did chemistry as an undergrad and i didn't really enjoy it and when i finished i was well into like running bars and i loved like the bar scene in manchester i got into like being a competition bartender traveled around europe like doing that that was great fun and then essentially i said to myself one day i wasn't i was all right but i wasn't so good that i was ever going to make loads of money off it and i thought i'm never going to own a bar by working in one so i need to get a proper job so so i only do this so that one day i can retire and own a bar which is a kind of an ongoing joke with my wife that she won't let me but i uh i wanted to get back into like like an actual career and i went back to uni and all that so But I think one of the things that kind of made me quite unique in where I ended up, like in data science, like research degree, did the doctorate and all that, um, was that bar work gave me a lot of ability to have conversations with random people, like just instantly, like easy to connect with people and just getting that, getting the, the reps in, getting all that practice in. And like trying to, it sounds really silly, but like trying to get, clear instructions or like set expectations with someone that's drunk right like someone trying to figure out what do you mean and yeah sorry that we don't do that or dealing with emotional people and all that stuff and they like is useful because then you take that into a work environment where people hopefully aren't drunk but you you go into like the office and people don't really know what they mean or they don't know what they want so like work at a cocktail bar 150 cocktails on the menu right and people come in and they go oh what drinks do you do? We're like, well, what drinks don't we do? Like, and they haven't got the time to, to actually go through the menu. They just kind of don't really know what they want. And you have to help guide them. So I thought that was a good practice. And I encourage anyone that's in like this early career data science, maybe still at uni to try and work in a bar because it's good fun and you'll have like, you'll meet good people. Then yeah, role play games outside of like work stuff. So that was still work. Um, yeah, got into playing Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. And it kind of changed who I was. Like when I did that as a teenager, I was really, really shy, couldn't speak to anyone, like really reserved and then and and quite unhappy for a lot of my teenage years. And then I started doing like role play games. And this is like really sad, but I realized that I could kind of pretend to be someone else at So, and then if some they didn't like that person, well, that was fine. So because it wasn't me, that was like a character. And I've slowly just become that character. Like that is who I am because that per- I could be a little bit more bold and ambitious and outgoing. And I had that shield of like pretend, and that that has helped me cut out my shell and be more like. Well, I'm a bit of a loudmouth now, and you can't shut me up a lot of the time, um, as evidenced by this podcast and my rambling. Right, but the. Um, Roleplay is really, really interesting. If you've never done tabletop roleplay, try and find a good like group locally to get try and do a one-off or something. Because only through doing years of it, like where you're pretending to be a character and you're pretending to be in the mindset of like another situation and you're trying to read like cues and clues, that role that ability to roleplay actually really helps with like your empathy and your your understanding of the perspective of other people and sound I, i do genuinely believe this like it sounds nuts sometimes but i think that being able to like pretend you're a dwarf like smith or whatever and like you've you've got to do such and such like it, it's so alien but it's like again it's getting the reps in it's that mental gymnastics of trying to contemplate well what would that person feel like not what, what do i feel like what would that character feel like and how does that work And then it allows you to like off the cuff talk as well, much like bartending. You can just talk about things and because it's essentially loads of improvisation over and over. So it, again, it practices your communication skills, enables you to kind of talk more confidently and, and be 
better in group environments. It also teaches you things like teamwork, some of them, and all sorts. So that's kind of who two of the most formative things I think have really helped data my data science sort of life as well. I also like board games there behind me. I play a lot of tabletop board games. I play like computer games as well. Um, that's mainly because I had no friends when I was growing up, right? But that I think like I'd love it if my kids played computer games. I, I do think it helped me learn a problem solving mindset and things like that and learn to like fail over and over and over again until you kind of stuff starts to click. And, and there's a lot of controversial kind of takes on that when we were younger. But I think that's changing now. I'm not sure. It's sense in the air. Mm. Yeah, I think uh yeah, I'm not sure it depends uh, depends on the parents. Um awesome. Well thanks. Uh I feel like yeah this this background unique is unique and uh, what you mentioned maybe like uh, working on this um, competence to uh, look at someone or imagine a role and try to enhance the key characters of this person. I think that can really help. Uh, you you were earlier mentioning um, like uh, your CEO was doing some things that um, he was good at. And so you kind of copy his model. Well, this gymnastic of yeah. copying uh, others when we're not sure how to do it this is exactly what you're doing when you're doing these kind of games also it's like being able to being able to get out of mm, your own head and to start thinking as a, as you would assume someone else would be thinking and i feel that this is a great trick sometimes uh in life to like achieve something just okay how would this person that is very good at this would do this and then you kind of start breaking down some key points and, and that you, you wouldn't think on your own. But now that you're changing your framework of looking at things, um, it works better and, and, and it can enhance more value. Um, and it's like, so you're working with, say you're working with like a consultant, you're working with a customer. You say, right, you need to do these three things and then we'll, everything will be flying and we'll be printing money, blah, blah, blah. And then they don't do them. Like so one person doesn't do the thing. And a lot of people's immediate response is, well, they're an idiot, right? Well, they're stupid and they're wrong, right? And that might be true, right? But it's usually more helpful to go, right, well, stop. Let's just play the week out. It was a week since we told them that. What was their week like? What happened? What what would I would have to happen to my character for me to come into that meeting and say, I didn't do it? Like, and that can be a really helpful tool because especially in like a sort of um, like provide a customer relationship. If you can then like empathize with them and, and and kind of play it back from their point of view with them, they just instantly feel like much closer to you. They get that you understand them and it, it helps build that relationship. It might be that they're an idiot, right? But sometimes I find that that's quite a useful tool as well, being able to just play right with it. How do I go from the state he was in or they were in to the state they're in now? How do I go through those steps? Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. No, that, that's, I feel like this is very, it can enhance uh, a lot of value. Um, so maybe I have one other question that is uh, maybe on the personal side, uh, but a very interesting one. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of people um, yeah, should, should think like that. Uh, so you are recently a father, right? Yep. Uh, how do you manage, because you, you also recently launched your own company. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> How do you manage this? Like, do you have a framework? Do you have a method? Um, how is it going? Do you, do you have tips, frameworks? Um, very lucky that my wife's very supportive of everything that we do, right? So really, really lucky that she is on board with, all, with it all. And she understands that I've always wanted to start my own business. And the kind of the natural time came very recently. Um all other things aside, if, if I hadn't had a brand new family, like basically my first daughter um, just over a year ago, then it would have been a perfect time. Um, and so I did it because that's kind of been burning at the back of my heart for like best part of a decade. Right. So I, that had to happen eventually. And it just made sense to happen then. So she's on board and she gets it. So like tonight, right? I, I literally got home from uh, a customer got through the door, ate dinner and came up here to do the podcast, right? And I can hear them in the background through there, like she's putting her to bed and things like that. And so like, I've missed my duties really there. Um, so that's like a big pillar of it. But 
that being said, like I do as much as I possibly can. So I typically try and do the mornings. I try and make sure I'm up really, really early and I can get my daughter up out of bed and I do a bre- try and do a breakfast if I can and things like that. Um, and it's about trying to just ruthless prioritization is, is a big one as well. Like I think a lot of us don't have time to do stuff because we do just, we just do all the stuff that we think we have to do. And actually you don't have to do the vast majority of stuff that you think you have to do. Um, you can, if you really look like, what's the crux of it? Where's the real value? You can carve a lot of time out for yourself and things like that. And then, yeah, multitasking, things like that, things like reading and writing on my LinkedIn stuff on the commute and and so on and so forth, trying to find those kind of short tactics that help as well. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I've got any advice, really. It's difficult. It's really, really difficult. Um, It helps that I've never really slept much either. That's probably... (laughs) come I, like i i get by in about five or six hours but that's not really much of a yeah. sort of tip for anyone mm. um no it is really difficult and i respect to people that do it and especially having to like take care of children that are maybe a bit older as um through lockdown and stuff like that and i can imagine that was really 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 tough but mm. it takes a lot yeah no but i think you've shared some great insights like uh like talking and the communication being clear with uh, in the relationship so that uh, you can be doing this and then uh, while you're pre- prioritizing um, just the, the tasks you have for the work you also do um, some tasks for home and like you manage your time for both and you prioritize in both and uh, and then go with the flow <laughs> so <it's>, <laughs> okay <laughs> this is a, this is what I will take from from this awesome. Um, we're reaching kind of uh, the end of the interview. I have a few follow-up questions um, uh, to maybe get more insights uh, from you. So one is, um, how do you keep learning and be curious? How do you, yeah, how do you keep growing and learning things? Yeah, I think that's really hard. Like, as especially now that my time is stretched more than it ever has been, um, I'm worried that that will slip a bit because something has to give, right? Um, I am a big relier on audiobooks or getting the audio, converting stuff to audio to listen to it, even if it's technical. And sometimes it's, if you've ever tried to listen to a really techie audiobook, it's really tough, especially if it's like an auto-generated audio thing. But that, I think, is a nice way to get like a first pass, at least, of like a, a text so that you can go, right, I know there's stuff in there that I need to study and so on and so forth. Um but I just think it's like such an important part of the game. Like you, you must learn at all times. Like the stuff I knew a few years ago is irrelevant and like you have to keep up to date. You have to keep going. Um, I find that through writing on, so a lot of people that might know of me will, will do so because of my writing online. And I think that is a really good teacher because like if I'm going to write, a lot of us have these ideas or thoughts or things we think we think, right? And then you, but you've never actually formalized them and writing them down makes you go, wait a minute, I've never actually thought that through and I need to crystallize it a bit better and, and make sure it all makes sense. That can be a really good teacher. And then by reaching out to people and putting yourself out there online, you'll get challenged on stuff, right? Or you'll meet experts that agree or whatever but either will teach you a hell of a lot like there's no better way to get good ideas and thought processes into your mind than speaking to someone that's been through the hard yards and done it and tells you why it doesn't work or why it does work and so on and so forth and sometimes like i'll say stuff and i'll get challenged by people and sometimes i'm right and i i get better at defending my position oftentimes though i'm wrong and I, I realized oh, what I was saying wasn't quite right. And my mental model needs to adapt to, to the way things are. So I think it's almost that like, because uh, you've committed to saying something online, like I write every day, I have to learn stuff to make that worthwhile reading. Otherwise, it's it's not. So you just kind of force yourself to do it. But getting the time and doing it, yeah, that is just, I think that's half the game, really. All right, great. If, if people would like to connect with you or see your work, your publications, where do they need to look? How how can they learn more from you? Yeah, so um, 
I, I write daily on LinkedIn, um, sometimes on Twitter as well. I kind of have a in-out relationship with, with Twitter. But yeah, I, I, LinkedIn's probably where I'm most active uh, most days. Um, otherwise, I also write longer form stuff on like a weekly newsletter called uh, called Beyond Data. And that's just a newsletter.adamstrocker.co.uk. Um, that's free. Uh, yeah, it always will be free. That's just me sort of expanding on some of the stuff that I write about on LinkedIn, really. Um, but yeah, just reach out, just ping me a message or email me or whatever, and I'll try and make time and, and see if I can help. Or if I can't help you, I'll try and point you at someone that can is a big thing. Um, contemplating starting a community, I think that's a lot more work than I've got time for, though. But if anyone wants to run a community with me, let's have a chat. But yeah, otherwise open to suggestions awesome i'll put uh, everything you mentioned you need the newsletter your linkedin and your twitter account i will put it in the in the description of the podcast and last yes i'm actually i just forgot i should because i've literally just written a a course on running and managing data teams okay. that is to be released soon so i haven't got any details of where it will be released but watch this space for that as well awesome great we'll be um connected uh, and uh, last question, do you have any message for the data AI community or, or more in general or about leadership? Um, do you have a message to share? Um, yeah, probably something I said the other day, actually. People underestimate the value of management versus leadership, actually. And I think it's important to be a good leader, right? But it's it's as important to have a good manager as well. And I, I said it the other day as the leader is the person there to like set the vision and get people enthused and, and like sort of carve the path. But the manager is the person that allows people to follow like and gets the best out of them and things like that. And I think you people boohoo managers a lot, but it, it's difficult um, and if you're looking for a career progression, do seriously consider, like, do you want to manage other people? Because it's hard. And a lot of techies don't. And I, I can see why. Awesome. Thanks. Well, thanks a lot, Adam, for coming on the podcast. I learned a lot with you today. And I hope uh, all the people listening learned uh, as much as I did. Um, I wish you all the best. We'll be pending on your newsletter and your following content. And uh, maybe see you on another episode. And all the best uh, with your new company. Excellent. No, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Congrats. You've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.